Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me on the Adaptify podcast. Today's episode is actually the first one I've recorded since Tim and I went to China to confirm our manufacturing partners for the lap stacker. It was a crazy trip. There was uh, quite a bit of drama, including a trip to a Chinese hospital. If you're interested in the vlog we created, go and check it out over on Adaptify's YouTube channel or go to adaptify.com and you can click on the link uh, to YouTube from there. Today's guest is Yannick Benjamin. He's a sommelier from New York. Three months after being married, he had a car accident that left him a paraplegic. What a terrible time to go through that. And he had to rediscover what it took to be a sommelier and someone in the hospitality industry as a wheelchair user. He's more or less pioneered the way in that front and has also created an incredible charitable organization to help those less fortunate than him. I'm really looking forward to chatting with Yannick. He was in New Zealand recently touring the vineyards of New Zealand and uh, I didn't get to catch up with him, but uh, I hope to on the next trip. Yannick, thanks so much for joining me on the show. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me and I'm honored. Uh, Thank you so much. Hey, Yannick, uh, to, to set the scene for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, how did you end up in this adaptive uh, community of ours? And, you know, what was sure. your life like before that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm born and raised in uh, New York City, uh, specifically right down the block from Times Square. Uh, both of my parents are from France, uh, so I come from a family of immigrants. I was born in 1978, but I'm, I'm a lifelong, you know, passionate human being about New York City. I actually love this place. I love being here. Um, I can't imagine living anywhere else. But um, from an early on, you know, stage of my life, I decided to immerse myself into uh, the hospitality world, more specifically restaurants. And I started working in restaurants at the close to about the age of 14 years old. And one of the reasons for that was because my father was in the restaurant business along with his brothers as well. And it was just something that I wanted to do all my life. And so that's what I did. And it was quite, quite an experience. But at the age of 25 years old, uh, three months after I had just gotten married, um, and I was, I was taking on these certifications to become a, uh, sommelier. And I was working as a sommelier in, in really great restaurants in New York city. I was in a car accident on my way back home from work. And uh, it left me, uh, paralyzed, uh, completely from the waist down. Wow. Hey, well, first of all, uh, I love New York as well. I was there a couple of years ago, actually 2014, uh, and and it was two years after I broke my back and and, uh, someone suggested I go and do the New York Marathon in a in a push room wheelchair, and it was uh, it was a fantastic wow. fantastic experience. The the actual marathon itself was uh, was <laughs> was very painful. It wasn't yes. particularly yes. enjoyable, but my time yeah. uh, my time in New York was uh, was fantastic. And and everyone had said to me, New York, you know, oh man, people are really rude, and they're you know they're quite. Uh, quite pushy, but I found everybody incredibly warm and friendly and, and helpful. So it's, I guess it's a credit to, um, humanity really. And, um, and yeah, partic- absolutely. particularly New Yorkers and, and 
you know, all of my experiences actually in the US as a as a wheelchair user have been been Great. been pretty good. You know, people have been very helpful, opening doors and and things like that. So. So that, I think so too. So that's really good. So I mean, look, to take us back to that. Uh, you know, yeah. that, that those first few days after your accident. What was going through sure. your mind? I mean, the you know, interestingly enough, the first thing that was going through my mind was, geez, you know, my wife just married me. She didn't marry into this. Um, mm. I I really wanted her to just leave me. I just said this is not something that she signed up for. I mean, it's one thing to be married to someone for 10, 15, 20 years. And then things happen in life and then you stick by them. But three months after the uh, wedding, it just seemed a lot. And, you know, in this day of age, you know, to be married at 25 years old, uh, it's quite young. So there was just so much happening. I didn't concern myself too much with not being able to walk again. But what really, really struck a nerve and just kind of like, oh, just devastated me, to be honest with you, was the fact that I would not have control of my bladder and bowel. It was, you know, even up to now, it's something that I can never really accept. Of course, I deal with it and I live my life, but I knew that not having control of, over my bladder, that was going to have some serious implications as far as independence and how I was going to be emotionally and, 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 and just work out things logistically. You know, I, I always tell people walking, not walking. Yes, of course, it, it's not it, it's not it's not an easy thing to go through. But not having a bladder, it's something we don't think about. Not having control of, of your bladder is just something leaps and bounds way more difficult. And, and it took me years after my injury to finally find a system that finally worked for me, you know, figured out a perfect diet. You know, I mean, I used to drink coffee, not a heck of a lot of it, but it's something that I had to give up because it was just something that would trigger my bladder. I'm also, you know, caffeine is kind of an irritant. So, I mean, that's just a small example, but certainly mm. the bladder was the biggest challenge. Yeah, I'm with you there. I had no idea that uh, becoming paralyzed meant that you know these other bodily functions uh, weren't weren't working or, or worked right. in a strange way. Pretty right. pretty tough thing to deal with for sure. And and I'm well, I'm glad that Absolutely. you you found something that works. But but you know in in that interim period where you try and figure that out, that's 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 a tough psychological thing to deal with, right? As a you know oh, as yeah. as a growing as a growing man or woman, that's uh, absolutely oh, sure man. sure. That's brutal. So, so how long did you how long did you spend in in hospital? And you know what was yeah. what were the first days out of hospital like? Sure. And, and you know how did how did your wife deal with that? Yeah, I was in the hospital for about four months. That's as much as insurance will ever cover. So my car accident happened in October twenty seventh, two thousand three. And then I was done with my rehabilitation by January 9th of two thousand and four. So it's, it's quite fast. Um, it's not a great system. I mean, I'm sure you and and your listeners might know that our healthcare system here in the United States is definitely broken. It's not a great system. It's a great system if you have a lot of money, but if you're just you know a working class individual, you know private insurance, even you know some of the public you know the, the the public assistance that the government can offer is not so great. So it's a very rushed situation. I mean. You know, rehabilitation when you're when you're paralyzed should probably take upwards from like six to eight to nine months, realistically. And if you're a quadriplegic, it should be about a year. But that is just not the case. It's not a reality that we have here, unfortunately. Um, my first day out of the hospital re- rehabilitation that was January 9th, and I remember it was a day after a major snowstorm, and there was snow 
surrounding my apartment of the house that I, that I lived in at the time with my ex-wife, um, who I remained good friends with, by the way. But uh, I just remember thinking, how am I going to get out of here? How do I deal with this though? I mean, because if anyone, I don't care how independent you are in your wheelchair, how strong you are, you know, snow is your worst enemy, you know? <laughs> and so I just remember thinking like, this is the worst possible scenario that can that someone can actually like, you know, deal with on their first day out independently in their wheelchair. And totally, uh, <laughs> yeah, that must have been that must have been real tough. I, uh, and, uh, oh, it's terrible. And, and <laughs> you know, a wheelchair, you know, has, has uh, metal push rims, you know, that you use to push. And, and in, right, the, in the right. cold, those things are freezing. You know, you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know first first few days out of uh, hospital, your wheelchair skills are, are not good. You know, they're they're not. You know, they improve exactly. improve over time. So having to navigate oh, that would have been. Would have been real tough. So, so what? Oh, yeah. What about your? Um, so, so you mentioned your your ex wife. So obviously things didn't work out there. How how right. long did there? How long did you guys uh, stay together for? And and what what was ultimately the decision there? Was it was it mobility related or was it just normal relationship stuff? Yeah, definitely. Um, she was great. You know, um, I mean, she. I couldn't have asked for a better support network and, and, and partner um, for sure. It, I think it was just normal relationship stuff for sure. Um, the, the the accident was definitely secondary by far, and I would never place blame on that. It was just things that you know I had checked out of the relationship. She had she had certain wants and desires that she 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 needed, and, and it was and I just wasn't ready for it. And so we just kind of split up amicably. We've remained friends and all that kind of stuff, but we were together probably for another five years after the accident. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like uh, the accident happened and a year later we, we split up. It, it, we, we try to work at it, but you know, things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. So, uh, you know, so what, uh, you know, aside from the snow and things like that, what, what was your, um, what were your thoughts around your career? And, and, and I'm assuming that as a wheelchair right. user, that, that would have had some sort of impact in the, you know, in the restaurant industry. What, what were your I, thoughts I, around that? I was very, I was lost. I felt confused. I, and most of all, I, I was like, who am I? What am I going to be? I, so I didn't have any identity because all my life, my identity that I was building up was to be a restaurateur, to be in the business, you know, and all of a sudden mm. I lost the use of my legs and, you know, and I would say in most places, but in New York city, these restaurants, you know, tend to be very tight. They pack them with tables because they need to generate revenue. And so mm. I knew, geez, I don't, I knew that it was going to be extremely challenging for me to ever get back into the restaurant business and work as a sommelier, as a wine waiter, in a wheelchair, let alone no one ever has, no one's ever done it, you know? So there wasn't a reference point to show people or to let people know like, Oh, he or she have done it before. Look at them and they're doing great. And so let's listen. I, is it ignorance? I don't know, but I think we live in a culture and, and, and we as human beings, we need to see things to believe it. Right. And so I understood like why people would think like, how is it even possible that this person in a wheelchair is going to navigate through a very busy restaurant, you know, carry glasses, carry bottles of wine and not, and not be a disaster. And so that was, that was the reality. And so, yeah, no, I mean, exactly. It's true. Right. And so I, you know, people would come up to me and tell me, well, you know, maybe you can go back to school, become a lawyer, you know, and get some, and I'm thinking, geez, I, I didn't, 
there's no way I can ever be behind the desk and be happy. There's just no way being in an office and work nine to five. And so, I mean, it was a, it was a very, I was definitely stagnant. There was just nothing happening. I, I wanted to figure it out. I wanted to know how I could make this happen, but I knew the reality of it was going to be more than challenging. So what was the first step you took? So, so you weren't going to give up by the sound of it, and you, you certainly right. weren't going to go and be a, a desk-bound lawyer or something like that. So no. So when did you decide to to give it a go or to, to take that first step towards your uh, sommelier journey? The truth is I started to work for free. Um, I, I would ask people, I said, hey, can I come work for you can, hmm. just so I can build my work stamina, just so I can really at least – build some credential, you know, and what I guess you would call street cred. Right. And so I knew that no one was going to pay me to work for them, but I knew that if I could say, Hey, do you mind if I come work here for you and I'll do it for free? And, and people were just like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, like this is the only way that I'm going to be able to prove to people. And, and, and the truth is I needed to do it for myself because I had never worked in a restaurant in a wheelchair. I didn't know exactly what, how I was going to carry glasses around. So trial by error. So really working for free was really the only way that I was going to do it. And I didn't, again, I didn't have anyone else that I, that I knew that was in my situation trying to do what I wanted to do, like the same kind of job position. And then finally, I, I found this one guy and um, who had a, who was just opening up a new wine store. And I asked him, hey, um, can I come work for you for free? And he was like, are you sure? And I said, yes. And then six months later, um, it became a full-time situation. You know, it, I think it was the greatest thing that I did was I had to go backwards in order to go forwards. And and sometimes we as human beings need to do that. And I also think in the, here in the United States, I, I don't think you guys have that problem in New Zealand, but that concept of interning, you know, doing what in France they call like a staging, you know, being a stagiaire, you know, learning, observing, um, following a mentor, trailing. It's initially what I needed to do. And that's what helped me get to get me to the point that I, I needed to be at. I think it's fantastic, and I've heard this time and time again. Uh, you know, there's a there's a character in New York. His name's Gary V. You may have heard of him. Yeah, of course, of course. You know, sure. Uh, Wine Library TV. In fact, you may be uh, maybe as a familiar, you'd be familiar with that and his. Uh, yeah, of course, of course. Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. You know his his approach, and, and particularly the the understudies of Gary that uh, that did just basically volunteer their time. So, hey, I want to come and do this for you, and and you know, be an understudy and, and, you know, prove themselves and, and get experience. And, uh, you know, that was in some ways that's, that's showing how, how committed you are to it. Right. And, um, you know, oh, absolutely. I, I think that's really smart. I think it's brave. Uh, you know, and I, and I imagine that, you know, because you had a car accident, you, you were able financially to, to just get by in order to do that. So, so there was no real cost to you or was, you know, how, how was your financial situation at that point? Did, did you have enough um, resources to be able to do that? It was a very tough financial situation. I, w- I had, um, I did get the, I did have disability insurance. So that helped me a little bit. It wasn't a lot, but I was able to manage. I was able to live within my means. And because of that, it allowed me to, I took advantage of that situation to help develop other skill sets that I needed to survive in this wheelchair. So yes, that's it, Nick. I, it wasn't a lot, but I made it happen. Yeah, that's cool. I love the fact that you talked about living within your means. And uh, we had a similar situation, my wife and I and our son. You know, I, I had a, 
I had a really good salary, and that disappeared instantly, more or less. And uh, right, and we were we were down to ground zero again, essentially. And and sure, you know, uh, yeah, had to had to live um, a pretty meager meager existence for a while until um, <laughs> until we built build ourselves back up, I guess. Um, yeah, of and, course. And um, yeah, I guess I guess it just proves that you can do that. You know, you you really you really can uh, if if you put your your mind to it yeah and if, if you want it yes you, you can make it happen absolutely hey so tell us yannick about carrying you know bottles of wine and and glasses of wine and, and what your role entailed what what did you what what sort of tasks were you, were you doing right so i mean I, I first and foremost i would probably say the thing that i learned the most about myself was i was actually uh, we have these what they call sommelier competitions where when you compete it requires you to do a, a theory exam um, a blind tasting of wines, but also a service portion. The service portion is as if you were working in a restaurant setting, you know? Mm. And so participating in these competitions, not only was I competing against other people, but most importantly, I was competing against myself and I had nothing to lose. So I would enter these competitions, you know, I would create sort of like a, a kind of adaptive tray and for each competition that I, I competed in and while I was working too, this tray that I was working on would get better and better and better, you know, and until I finally figured out exactly what was the best setup for myself. And it took time like anything else, again, trial through error. And, and, and this is what initially happened. And I figured out, Oh, I need a tray that I can put glasses in where glasses don't move, where I can put a, where I have a slot in the tray where the bottle of wine will not move. And so things of that nature. And that's how it all kind of came together. But it took, you know, two years at least to finally figure out the, the, the correct contraption that I needed. Talk, talk to me about uh, perceptions. But by the way, that sounds that sounds like you're um, a product developer, but like us, which is cool. <laughs> you're, uh, you're you're innovating with um, with uh, hardware to to make your life easier. Right. Um, that, <laughs> that's really cool. Uh, Thank you. So so tell us a little bit uh, about perceptions and what your customers, uh, yeah. what, what responses you got, and you know, positive and and maybe negative that you had to contend with. Right. Well, we'll start off with the negative because there, it's really just such a, a I've, I've, I've been very fortunate that I haven't had bad experiences, but some of them that I, of course, there's always some, right? I mean, I will tell you this, um, when I was interviewing 10, 12 years ago and looking for work, um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many emails I must have sent out, sending my resume out, my CV and, and how many times I had an interview with people and I, I just was led to believe that they were going to hire me. And then I would find out who they hired instead. And they were significantly less experienced than me. And one of the interviews that I actually went on within a minute of him entering the office of where I was waiting for him at, he, um, he didn't laugh. It wasn't a laugh as if he was making fun of me. It was a laugh that he was nervous and he just started laughing. He said, wait, uh, are you okay? Or were you in some kind of ski accident? Um, do you plan on working? And I, and I remember just rolling out of there and I, and I just kind of like said, I feeling extremely defeated. And I remember looking at him and said, I think I better go because this is clearly not going to work out. And he just kind of like, obviously that's when he stopped laughing. He was like, no, no, no. And I said, no, it's okay. But that was probably uh, the one situation. And then I've had, I, I would have people come up and tell me, 
you know, Yannick, why are you killing yourself? Why are, why do you want to work in restaurants so bad? Why do you love this so much? Like, why don't you just be, you know, like everybody else and work and get a normal job? And, and, you know, the truth is if you're ever going to work in a restaurant, you're going to have to buy your own restaurant and, and, and create it so you can work in it. And that's never going to happen. So those are the type of things that I heard, I've heard, you know, but for the most part, I mean, listen, um, people are, are so supportive um, and they're great. I've not, you know, and, and those are just a few negative stories, but I can tell you there's so many great positive stories of how supportive people are. And, you know, I really live in the greatest city in the world. It's such a great place. It's not the most hospitable when it comes to transportation in New York city, unfortunately, and, and there's still so much work that needs to be done, especially with the subway system where there's not enough elevators to get around and they constantly break down. Mm-hmm. I mean, that situation could be rectified and fixed. I mean, it would be a pretty good situation and it definitely has its flaws, but for the most part, I, I we live, I live in a really progressive city. Yeah, definitely. I'll agree with that. Yeah. This, the subways, uh, I, when I was there, we encountered uh, a few, stops few stations that didn't have yeah, yeah, yeah. lifts out yeah. and <laughs> yeah yeah it's not great you that's that's when your uh you know your your uh, skills at, at convincing people to, to lift you up the stairs come into play and and uh you know you're so some people just won't do it because they're worried about health and safety and and being sued yeah. and all sorts of things but other people yeah. like yeah i'll give it a go um and, and they'll help you out but it's yeah, it takes confidence to ask, and it's um, it's it's embarrassing at times too, right? Oh, it's terrible. It's a terrible situation. There's no reason for it to be. But I suppose if you live in the city, you you, you figure these things out, and you know where where you can and can't go with transport. So over time, you just you find more right. ways to work around it. Um, for sure. Which is which is good. So okay, so so you've you obviously you got a you got a job. Someone gave you a, gave you a break uh, after yeah. you know, after interning for uh, six months or so. And, you know, and, and recently, actually, you were in New Zealand uh, visiting some uh, vineyards here. So how yeah. has your, your career developed and uh, what, what, you know, how, how did you start uh, these, these nonprofits that, uh, you know, that obviously look like they're going tremendously well? Yeah, I mean, listen, um, that was probably one of the first things that crossed my mind when I was in my early stages of my injury where I knew that I had an immense amount of resources, a network of friends and family that I knew that would support me and support my initiative. And I just remember being in rehabilitation while I was there. And I had so many people come visit me and so many people that supported me along with my, my future partner, um, Alex Elagood in, in Wheeling Ford, our nonprofit. He was, he was my roommate for over four months at this hospital and he was in a separate car accident. Meanwhile, the other roommates on the same floor just never had anyone visit them. And I just thought that was so shocking. I was just like, geez, how can you, no one can get through this on their own. You need that uh, network of friends and family. You need some financial like uh, uh, support. And none of these individuals had the financial resources to make simple whole modifications so they can move back home. And a lot of them would go back to nursing homes. So, Hmm. you know, a few years after my injury, Alex and myself got into discussing that we need to start an organization, a small grassroots nonprofit organization where we can help, especially those that have a physical disability from lower income backgrounds that are sort of the forgotten people. And hopefully we can provide them with the resources that they need so they can get back into everyday life, so they can go to school, so they can get their job, so they can get the right wheelchair that they need or whatever it is specifically that they may need so they can achieve their goals. And that's how Wheeling Ford started. And, how, and the way we 
we were able to achieve, you know, our objectives is through these wine events. Okay, so so tell us a little bit about uh, about these events. Yeah, so we do um, we do these events called Wine on Wheels. Um, we're in our ninth year now, and basically we uh, we get an incredible amount of wine from and support from wine, wineries from all around the world, and we do about anywhere from a hundred to three hundred different wines. We have about sixty to eighty different um, wine personalities who are just the nicest people who are behind the tables pouring the wines, and it's one big party. <laughs> and we, we we generate as much money as we can. We have a silent auction. We have a, a live auction as well. And now we've gotten so big that we are now working with other local charities in other cities. So we just did one in Washington, D.C. In August, we're doing one in um, Portland. And in January of 2020, we're doing one in Chicago. And so our objective is really to raise money, to work with other local charities that are going to help other people with physical disabilities from lower income backgrounds and help them improve their quality of life. Man, that must be incredibly satisfying to see it's you know, amazing. What, what you've achieved. Uh, and to, to have a creative view on this as in bringing your love of wine and your connections, your, your community um, to create this, what sounds like an amazing party. Um, how, how many, how many people attend these events and, and um, why, why do you think, uh, why do you think these events have been so successful? I would say there's also, listen, the truth is like, I, I, I happen to know people who spread the word. I think having that personal connection, they also know that both myself and Alex are the face of the organization. They know that we're not there just to like, you know, raise money, but we're also getting our hands dirty by trying to help these individuals. And that's why we're having a high success rate. Um, you know, we're very involved with their charity. We're very passionate with our charity and we really want to make this work. And we want to see other people that are in our situation that, that haven't been given the same resources that we've been given, but we want to see them succeed. And so, you know, we have this incredible network of, 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 of support in not only the wine industry, but the hospitality industry. And if we didn't have that support, I don't think Wheeling Ford, the Wine on Wheels event would be where it's at today. Uh, that's uh, absolutely incredible. You know, well done. Oh, thank um, you. So what, uh, what, is, what is next on, uh, on, on the radar for, for you guys? You know, to continue to work with other local charities, help them generate money, help them generate, you know, help them achieve their objectives. But um, August 1st, we're doing Wine on Wheels in Portland. Uh, Chicago 2020, uh, January of 2020, we'll be in Chicago. And we're looking to do it in other cities. San Francisco is a place that we're eyeing, and we still want to try to do something out in Houston and Texas. And hopefully we can do this overseas as well, you know, and that's what it's all about. It's it's about sharing our network, our resources and helping other people. You know, I feel like a lot of charities have become very uh, competitive um, and we certainly don't want that. We feel like we should all work together and, and help each other no matter what the philosophy is. But the only philosophy that it should really come down to is that we want to help people that have less than us and, 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 and help them achieve their goals and their dreams. Yeah, that's great. Hey, and so I guess, do you see any changes in the political landscape in the US that will help uh, disability or, or are you guys in a period now which is yeah. um, just uh, really difficult? What, what's, this, what's the story there now? We definitely live during, we're living during times of uncertainty, that's for sure. Um, you know, we have a leader who is very unpredictable and 
we have a very complex system because everything's run state by state as well. So, you know, even like a state like New York, if you have a disability, you tend to have more resources in a state like New York or even California than you would if you lived in a place like uh, Mississippi or, uh, or uh, you know, Louisiana. Um, so it's, it's definitely, we, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but having a severe disability, and when I say severe, I'm talking about something where it's permanent, like myself, um, paraplegic or quadriplegic or someone who has multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's, or even something that someone has a co- you know, cognitive issues. It's, it's a, it's a big challenge and and equality um, for people with disabilities is simply not there. And we have a long way to go. I mean, a long way to go, unfortunately. Um, and it's, 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 it's crazy to think cause we're, we have 57 million people in this country that have some kind of disability. And yet it's still something that is not talked about or discussed. Well, um, I guess in a, in a small way, this podcast and others like it will uh, will help to bring that conversation out in, in the open. Yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely, um, thanks. And and tell me what what are you what are some good New Zealand wines that you've tasted recently? I'm I'm curious to know next time I go to the uh, the wine store. Oh my gosh, you know for sure. I mean, I've I've had a great visit with uh, this one producer called Atarangi out in uh, the Wairapa region, mm-hmm. um, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, unbelievable, great purity. The winemaker there, her name is Helen Masters, and I just absolutely loved her wines. Um, out in uh, Marlborough, Dog Point is another winery that I, that I absolutely adore. I think they, they great, great precision, great, great, great wines there too, nice complexity. And then I love the wines from the region of central Otago. Um, they're just so good. and just This is such a special little place over there. Hey, well, one day maybe uh, maybe we could have an event here. I would absolutely love that. You just let me know. <laughs> there's uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, passionate wine producers. I know I know a few a uh, few of my friends actually work in the industry. So uh, so yeah, maybe maybe we'll, we'll we'll start that conversation over a glass of wine some sometime. No, I would absolutely love that. So now, absolutely. Yannick, where can people find out more about uh, about you and the work that you do? Yeah. Where, where's the best places to go? I would say if you can go on our website, it's www.wineonwheels.org, and it's w-i-n-e-o-n-w-h-e-e-l-s.org, www.wineonwheels.org. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, fantastic. And I see there's a, a, a bunch of really great information and it's a lovely website, yeah. actually, by the way. And oh, thank you. what I like about it too is, uh, you know, it's quite clear and particularly on wheeling forward exactly what you do with the, with the money raised. And I think that's, uh, that's, oh, fan- thank you. that's fantastic. So, so, it, you know, have you uh, found other uh, wheelchair users uh, in the years that have passed that are, that are now working in the restaurant trade? Do you, do you are you, uh, you know, are you able to um, connect and, and mentor others that want to want to be in the industry? Yeah, I have. I'm, I'm currently mentoring two people. Once one lives in, in Italy and he's come to visit me a couple of times here in New York. His name is Mirko Pastorelli. And um, he's he's an up and coming sommelier. He's all he has a cerebral palsy, but he's working on it. And I really think uh, he once he gets all his certifications will be a great sommelier. And then there's another gentleman named Peter Kunz who lives out in Chicago and he's working on it as well. And I'm helping him out. So, you know, listen, um, 
it's a small domino effect. And um, I'm, I'm just, I don't want to be the first and I certainly don't want to be the only one. I, I want, I want to, I want to see as many people with all types of disabilities working in the hospitality industry, whether it's someone that's deaf, whether it's someone that's blind or someone that has some kind of cognitive issues or amputee, I want to see all sorts of, of people with disabilities being represented in this world. I mean, in this uh, industry, excuse me. Uh, that's great. Well, Yannick, thanks so much for uh, trailblazing, for leading the way. And and I'm absolutely certain that uh, there'll be lots of people out there looking up to you and, you know, we'll be Thank able you. to see that working in the restaurant and the wine industry is possible, uh, even if you are a wheelchair user. And, uh, you know, you're, you're a pioneer, you're definitely an adapter fire. And uh, so thanks very much for sharing your story and joining me on uh, the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And safe travels. I believe you're off on a trip soon. So, yeah, go well. And uh, look, next time I'm in New York, I'll look you up and uh, uh, I'd love to to have a glass of wine with you in person. Oh, please do. Absolutely. We'd love that as well. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind-the-scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.